Hello, I'm horror cartoonist Dennis St. John. I draw monsters and write twisted tales. As you can imagine, I was a little obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Lucky for me, so were most of my high school friends, all except one. One friend who stubbornly refused to join the Scoobies. So here we are, 20-some-odd years later. I'm teaming up with Doc Travis, John Teach Landis, and maybe a special guest or two. And we're going to make our friend, Michael Poli, watch one episode of Buffy Week until he's no longer the Buffy Virgin. Okay, we're rolling. All right. Um, <clears throat> hey, everybody. Welcome to Buffy Virgin, uh, spoiler-free Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Uh, friends, we're about to begin season five. We started this journey with Buffy as high school sophomores, and now here we are. Look at us. Uh, so I'm your host, certified monster expert, Dennis St. John, uh, and we have a special guest this week, uh, Mike Van Helder. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Mike Van Helder. Uh, some people call me Mikey. I'm uh, in Philadelphia, and I'm a friend of uh, John Landis. He was on my podcast, so he invited me to be on this podcast. And what is your podcast? My podcast is called Movie Versus Expert. It has yet to come out, but there is a preview available. And if you guys stick around till the end, I'll tell you how to access that preview. The premise of my podcast is that we talk or we watch a movie, and then we talk to an expert in what the movie is ostensibly about. So, for example, uh, John Landis is an early childhood educator, so we watched Kindergarten Cop and talked about how good of a kindergarten teacher Arnie is in that movie. Turns out, not so bad. Uh, we're doing A Few Good Men with a Jag Lawyer. We're doing Trekkies with a Fandom Scholar. We did Sneakers with a Computer Scientist. So it's uh, you know kind of comedic. We talk about if the movie is bad, we talk about why the movie is bad. But really, it's kind of an educational show. We use the movie as a springboard to talk about you know relevant scientific or scholarly topics. Awesome. Sounds great. Uh, and, I, and we're also joined by the regular gang. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself in order from smallest to largest carbon footprint? Uh, my name's John. I think I have the smallest <laughs> carbon footprint. I take only public transportation and I've never had a driver's license in my life. You flew to England. Uh, that's true. Jets are the worst thing you can do. I fly back and forth across the Atlantic multiple times a year, so maybe I should go last. But anyway, my name's John. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to be on this uh, podcast, possibly polluting, possibly not. Uh, hi, my name's Travis. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm the next biggest polluter. Boy, this sounds real, real dicey. Dicey way to introduce ourselves, but um, yeah, I've been on the podcast before. My name is Michael. I'm the Virgin. I've only seen Buffy up to season five, episode one, and I'm probably the biggest polluter. Uh, even though I try to recycle and sort through my recycling, I still have a car, and I I don't take public transit as often as I should. All right, awesome. Uh, starting, I'm starting season five a little controversially, um, so why don't we jump into uh, reactions? <laughs> Audience reactions. Uh, so we've got some reactions uh, across a few different episodes. Um, so uh, guest of the podcast, Maya, uh, came on and uh, said, or just uh, commented that, uh, just listen to the Yoko Factor, fabulous uh, recap song. Good job, Mike. Uh, and very good conversation. I often enjoy your episodes more than I enjoyed watching the original Buffy episodes they were based on here in season four. Boom! <laughs> Better than the show we're reviewing. I agree. I prefer to listen to a podcast than to rewatch anything from season four. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, Anne Rink says, uh, uh, you're actually antagonizing two of your regular listeners every time you badmouth the puppet show. Uh, that was the episode that cemented the show as one of my favorites rather than just an okay show at the time it aired. Granted, the horny dummy routine doesn't exactly age well. A lot of fan love for Puppet Show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that one more than I should have. We need to stop using it as the example of the bad episode. Yeah, there's yeah. worse ones really to pick on. Uh, Praying Mantis, lady. Oh, Teacher's Pet yeah, is teacher's so good. Teacher's Pet is excellent. I love Teacher's oh. Pet. <laughs> You're saying that just because you've never been in Teacher's Pet, John. Uh, so Rich, and this is in reaction to the primeval thing. He asks if it, uh, the intro song, the intro video was inspired by the Philadelphia action figures. And it's a link to, do you remember that Saturday Night Live parody? Classic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and also in reaction to that, Silver Spike says, uh, you know, they did actually sell a Primeval Buffy action figure and got as far as the as doing a prototype Adam, which was never released in the end. A uh, little bit of tri trivia, JM, Jay Marsters, uh, ended up doing his own fight scenes in the end battle as the stuntman they hired for this didn't cut it as far as Whedon was, con was concerned. Um, and he was a lot happier with what, Marster, what Mar uh, Marsters was doing. Uh, Giles and Spike, what are they still doing on the show? Entertaining us, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, and the writers fully admit they cocked up over the Spike slash Adam plan as it didn't make a lick of sense. So they ended up uh, rewriting it so Spike's character took the blame. Lol. Uh, uh, so now getting into um, Restless, um, Shane Stewart says... Uh, dream is a series of thoughts and images occurring while asleep, like a reflection. Interesting with this dream sequence is that it reflects the characters. This season from the previous three. Uh, Willow reverting to her former high school days. Xander's insecurities, home life, and feeling he has no place in the gang. Uh, Xander's dreams also the longest. Giles' role as Buffy's fa watcher father figure while desiring a life of his own. Buffy as the slayer unaware of the origin. There are also some foreshadowing in her dream. I like the first Slayer's introduction. Um, Saxman says, uh, I just discovered <laughs> your, your channel and I adore your approach slash format. Looking forward to season five. So thank you. Uh, Silver Spike, um, uh, this is in reaction to uh, Restless says, uh, would you believe you published this at the same time as Passion of the Nerds started their live stream of Restless 2? Lol. Uh, interesting take on the episode. Very different from his. Um, and Renee Pope Monroe uh, says that Restless is my fave finale, and it's a gif of Rachel being excited. Uh, so we haven't seen Rachel, uh, sorry, uh, Renee's reaction uh, to the actual our recording, but she was pumped for that episode. So sorry, that was a lot of uh, reactions, but I just want to say thank you to everybody who does uh, watch our podcast and interact with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, We'll always read your comments if you want us to. And if you don't, we will just really silently appreciate them. So thank you. Uh, our fans, or not even, you know, our, the people listening mean a lot to us. Uh, we really appreciate it. All right, uh, let's do uh, the summary. The summary. Fucking have fun, I'm the only Buffy Summers bitch, I am the chosen one. I'm me, I'm black, my shadow gives you heart attack, Van Helsing couldn't take me out, so I'm back. I feel sorry for you, I still the edge of my seat, I'm a stookie for the count from Sesame Street, your cape looks like an old napkin, how does 19th century fashion still happen? You're a creep. I'm concerned you're asthmatic. Will is worried you're hiding a semi-automatic. Even my ex-angel is more charismatic. I'm the bee, bitch. I never learned to behave. You brought your own dirt, now you'll dig your own grave. Bitch. You call yourself Vampire Slayer. You're riding me to Blake, cosplayer. How riding drinking the wind is a masterstroke. Sinister is a joke. This idea of fun is a playful pope. You seem like a kind of group like to be choked. Your romantic life is a house of cards. Your friends are as useful as a party full of bars. Willow is dumb as a moppet. Your pope friend Xander, I turn into my puppet. This is not X-Files. I've already destroyed your old man Giles. <laughs> wow. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Every one is better than the last. Uh, all right, let's go on to Great Lines. Great Lines. All right, so in this episode, I really appreciated um, when Willow says, uh, what about the rest of us? We need to be watched. Personally, I can't get through the day without a little hairy eyeball. Um, I really liked uh, Willow and Xander talking. Uh, Mike Virgin, do you want to be Xander? Uh, sure. Zand, what if somebody had a secret and that somebody promised somebody else they wouldn't tell Newsflash, anyone? Newsflash, Willow. Everybody knows. No, this isn't about me and Tara. Not that I wouldn't be all ears if you wanted to tell me about a secret about you, even if it was very naughty. I don't know. I just like they're like, she's trying to not tell the secret about Giles leaving, but 
Xander's just like, newsflash, Willow. <laughs> it's clearly a sex secret. Yeah, yeah. It's all his mind thinks of. Oh, okay, some sex secret. Horny Xander. Uh, Mikey, do you have any uh, favorite lines? So I, I do have a favorite line, uh, too, actually. But before that, I want to get back to the bit about Xander um, asking his best friend for sex stories. Does anybody here do that? Because I have female best friends and I've never <laughs> once hey, tell me about the love you make. No. This is another Xander ick moment. Like super creepy, not just a little creepy. Like, ew. Horndog Xander. Yeah. Horndog yep. Xander. I mean, the, the best part is like they're drinking like coffee from like, they're drinking like frozen cappuccinos. So it's like this Willow can't get, there's no safe space when Xander's not creeping out. Like, yeah. so it's a fantasy friendship. Yeah, I mean, we've, we, we've, I think we've laid off of uh, pointing out every horrible thing that Xander says by now, <laughs> but uh, we shouldn't. You're right. We shouldn't because it's, it's just that it's so constant. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing it's still going on here in season five. Yeah. Right? How is he still horny for all his friends? I mean, I'm horny for a lot of my friends, but you know what I don't do is tell them about it. <laughs> I'm horny quietly to myself. Uh, but my favorite lines are actually Xander lines, though. It's the um, the Bader joke. Oh. Uh, where Xander says, like, any of that's enough to fight the Dark Master. And then everybody looks at him. Bader. <laughs> and then the follow-up, which is funnier, which I wouldn't jump to conclusions about the Unholy Prince. Bader. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I saw this show, I watched it when it, when it first aired. And, you know, however old I was, I was in high school. And I broke down laughing. I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. But now, you know, 20 years later, maybe it's not quite as funny, but I still appreciate those lines. I thought that was good writing. Okay. Nice, yeah. Uh, Mike, Michael, do you have any? No, I think the hairy eyeball was great and the Bader joke is so good. It totally landed for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also really like, it was just a, like an off-screen line, but when they were talking about Dracula, and so he was like, I wonder if he knows Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you were going to like that. That's such a, that's such a Dennis thing to say. <laughs> Any true. monster reference. Ooh. Uh, all right. Uh, let's do the kill count. The kill count. Um, I counted two humans, two vamps, uh, and one KO that isn't Giles. Uh, so that's what I got this week. Uh, so let's start the meat of the podcast. Let's go into the weird noticings and trivia. Weird noticings. I, well, I love that opening beach scene. Sorry. <laughs> the opening beach scene is a lot of fun. It feels ripped out of an Archie comic book. It's just so playful and the stakes are super low. And then there's a cute inversion at the end. It's like the whatever the Archie formula is, like just deconstruct that scene and do it on every page for 64 pages of a double digest. That was just so much fun. Yeah, I love that scene also. Um, you can notice uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's real life tattoo on her back when she's throwing the uh, football. She's got like a heart tattoo or something. Oh. Tattoo watch. <laughs> Speaking of uh, detailed watching, Trav. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm such a nerd. So the Buffy DVDs are still like the old school TV format that is like a square. And then you watch on Hulu, it's all widescreen. I, I watched on Hulu first. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is when it went widescreen. And then I put the DVD in later. I'm like, oh, nope, nope, not yet. No, I don't think, I don't think Buffy ever goes widescreen. I, I feel like season seven does. I know Angel does. Angel does, but I think other than what's more with feeling, I think it stays okay. that's right. in the TV frame. So your hardcore nerds out there, you can decide what you want to watch it in. 4-3. The answer is 4-3. You want to watch the originals. Unless you're doing a lot of freeze and zoom in on details. You can watch, yeah, you can zoom in on all the details that weren't meant to be there and are not <laughs> like technically errors. They're just <laughs> there. Uh, you got another uh, noticing here, Trav. Oh yeah, it, like uh, if you make a spell there, you close a door, do you automatically open a window? I mean, it was just like her spire spell immediately, you know, caused it to rain. It was just a funny joke. Uh, back when uh, we were trying to keep track of when Willow uh, mastered the four elements, because she mentions the four elements in this one, I was going to be like, this is it. This is the moment that proves she never masters the four elements. <laughs> but we've already given that point to you. Thank you. 
so let's uh, go on to the scene where um, Giles and Willow are, are scanning books and shit. Yeah, one thing that Giles mentions is that he's labeling the amulets. And that is really something he needs to work on because uh, the word of Valios is a amulet that we learned in the, uh, by zooming in on the HD version actually is labeled on the back, but Giles still missed it. So he really needs to work on labeling those amulets. We know that that actually has some fairly serious consequences. For sure. Uh, Trev? Oh, yeah. They, they, they should not be scanning these books. You I know. Can't, can't scan musty old tomes. You think, just, you think it's all just watchers journals, but you're going to scan some demon into the internet again. It's not going to be good. Yeah, they really did not learn their lesson from that one. Although they did upgrade from a handheld scanner to a flatbed. Yeah, at least it didn't drive me crazy of like, how does this work? <laughs> no, that's, that's worse though, because a flatbed scanner books that old, you have to put them down flat. You're going to break that's the spine. true. So it's much worse for the books, a flatbed scanner. You're not going to do yeah. like a high def photograph of it than a handheld is your, your better option. Yeah, in, um, in archiving, they use what, cradle scanners? Is that what they're called? Where It holds the book? Yeah, just turning them upside down like that and slapping them down. I, I, you know, I collect books, so I saw that. I'm like, oh God. Sander should know, or not Sander. Josh should know better. Uh, it's his collection. You think Giles is actually going to take those books to England? I mean, I think so. Shipping books to England, I can tell you, is not cheap. Uh, they're heavy, and uh, you know, I mean, if they're valuable enough books, which I'm sure they are, it's worth it. But uh, geez, do you know you you still can't ship horror comics to England? I've had to lie on forms when shipping comics. I am slightly not surprised. Let's say these are not horror comics. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What are they like? Edu- is it educational material? <laughs> I mean, like, what do you lie? I just, I just click the box that says they're not, even though they are. Because um, like England uh, had very strong reactions to the 50s horror uh, comic craze and without a First Amendment to protect them, like horror comics are still technically illegal in Britain. That is fascinating, really. Yeah. Even though they publish like uh, horror comics, they just don't call them horror comics. They're just huh. like zombie comics. No In wonder the there's non-horror. so many British fans of Buffy. Yeah, they can't get it. It's like they're standing in a queue for like spooky stories. <laughs> like like what, what's their, they just call them zombie comics and not horror yeah, comics? Yeah, I mean the, the zombie, and, the British zombie anthology I was in didn't use the word horror. It just used the word zombie a lot. So this actually brings up uh, kind of a point that I thought we were talking about later, but might as well bring it up now if we're talking about British. Um, a lot of this uh, Dracula stuff was obviously supposed to be based at least partially on hammer horror, mm-hmm. the hammer horror depictions of Dracula. Uh, Dracula always coming back. That's a big hammer horror thing where he dies and he comes back and he dies and he comes back. A lot of the, the visual language that they used was not the original Universal Studios Bela Lugosi Dracula. It was the Hammer Horror Dracula was a lot of the visual stuff they used. Um, other than the accent. Other than the accent. Um, but they biffed completely like the Hammer Horror atmosphere. Like Hammer Horror had a very distinct, slightly campy, but not super campy atmosphere, distinct visual language. The Three Sisters were like supposed to be hammer horror style three sisters and they got it wrong. It kind of actually really bothered me because they were going for a specific Dracula and I feel like they went way off the mark. Uh, I mean, I think they, they were going, the, the very specific thing of like, you always come back is like very Christopher Lee Dracula. Mm-hmm. But I think they were going for more generic, like with combining it with the accent. And I was actually like, we'll get into this re- with recommendations, but I was thinking about the later Universal and the like, John Carradine after Universal Dracula's where it becomes like where there's literally the titles are like Billy Billy the Kid versus Dracula and Frankenstein versus Dracula like that's where the the title comes from for this episode Um, so I think they are doing a more generic but uh, yeah there's definitely a lot of hammer in there wow Dracula nerds in the house Disappointed Dracula nerds. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten to disappointed yet. We're going to get there. Don't worry. Uh, Trev. What happens with Giles is, is, is largely, in my experience, what happens when you tell your friend that you're going to move to England is that they become very sweet and very kind. And they, they tell you that, that, you know, they're going to miss you and try subtle things to try to, get you to change your mind. It's oh. very, very endearing and uh, very, very sweet. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting actually this is the first time i've watched it since you've moved to england and i thought about 
like you. And I was like, boy, I hope Buffy and uh, the gang set up a different schedule for their podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I love you all. <laughs> I was super excited because I saw that uh, Buffy was wearing the, these red leather pants that I believe she's yeah. worn in other episodes, but they're like, they're her, to me, they're her faith pants because yeah. it's like the Dane, like Faith loved to wear leather stuff and like be crazy and wild and hunt and kill. And I'm like, uh-oh, Buffy's a little unhinged now. <laughs> they're actually her faith killing pants, which sets up uh when buffy wears them to kill faith she has the line all dressed up in big sister's clothes what whoa bringing that back uh so i i kind of liked the willow and xander walking around the cemetery scene despite horny xander uh just because it it had a very like season two feel um Mm. the beginning of season two especially uh but it, it just felt like, uh, there's, you know, like they're still friends. This, this, they still do stuff that's not Slayer related. Like, it's nice to see them just hanging out in the cemetery, like without being afraid of vampires. Yeah, I feel like uh, Xander in general is sort of um, made dumber than he even normally is in this episode just for comic effect. Yeah. I like that your nostalgia for the show it's like for just previous seasons of the show like it's pretty pretty crazy to have like mid-show nostalgia <laughs> but it is but hey, it, i totally get what you mean by the season two nostalgia now because like season two is like really monster of the week and then i mean this this episode feels like a season two style episode yeah it does yeah it's very monster of the week um, and I like uh, when we meet Dracula and Buffy says like, are you sure? Because I've met a few pimply vampires that call themselves Lestat. I was like, I love the idea that there are vampire cosplayers out there. <laughs> Buffy just murders them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also we know that Anne Rice exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah Anne Rice Buffy. exists in this universe. <laughs> in some like other... A- version of the like some other version of fiction could you have a bunch of vampires who call themselves angel <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> got a soul. yeah they totally use that line to get humans like i've got a soul <laughs> <laughs> just like lestat i couldn't believe that buffy was hiding the bite that made me super anxious i i didn't like that she was keeping it a secret of course, you know, you kind of see that she's under a spell. It's not just a bite. Like, there's this magical transformation that's happened. But just, like, that reveal where Riley kind of, like, pulls the scarf and it's like, you've been bitten. Come on. Like, I just, I was so glad that happened because I was like, please don't make the episode about her hiding this bite the whole time. Because, like, this yeah. is dumb. This is like a school play. Come on. <laughs> I've got two things about that. One, the scarf she wears reminded me a lot of when Sarah Michelle Gellar dresses up like Daphne from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, but the other thing is, do we see the angel bite scar on Buffy's neck in other episodes? Uh, yeah, like sometimes. Present? I, I do. Uh, uh, one of the things I do sometimes is a Buffy scar watch because it comes and goes. Um, and if you're watching it on Hulu in better definition than the show was meant to be seen in, you can see it a lot. Right. Okay. But it's kind of randomly when it's applied or not. I do like she Dracula bites in the exact same holes. <laughs> I also was thinking about this is a little weird, but like, there's like you've been tasted before, and Buffy like does apparently doesn't think being bit by the master counts. She doesn't like mention that one. She's like, oh. she's not like twice before. <laughs> You're number three, buddy. <laughs> I mean, if she only has the one scar. And I'm just thinking about Jaws here. That means that all three vampires who have bitten her have the same bite radius. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> Not a factor. <laughs> that, is, that is strange that she's attracted. The, I mean, obviously vampires want to bite people, but that like, that's an ongoing theme for this show now. Cause like twice I was going to, you know, throw it out, but now like that's a thing. These vampires want to bite her but also not kill her or turn her into a, you know, a subordinate. Uh, anyway, I'm sure I should have a prediction about that. So I'm surprised it took all the way to season five before she tasted vampire blood. Like, I feel like that would be something that'd be explored like very quickly in like a modern day show. 
because it's just like upping the ante. But no, it took him like four and a half years. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I like that everybody's partners have like jealousy issues with Dracula. Like yes. Tara is like, you found you found him sexy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Xander's jealous that Anya Willow, knows him. Willow is just like so guilty sounding. <laughs> oh, just like perfectly guilty. Dracula really brings something out in people. Really tests relationships. Uh, and it's such a banal Dracula. They, they kept telling us that he's sexy, right? Yeah. But I didn't actually get any sexiness off of him, first of all. And there was no chemistry with any of the actors. Like, there's terrible True. chemistry between him and Buffy. And no chemistry at all. Maybe with Xander a little bit. But the rest, like, it was one of these things where, you know, not to harken back to my podcast, but John Landis and I were talking about how in every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, there's an implied premise that women find Arnold Schwarzenegger attractive, <laughs> even though he's a really weird looking dude. And I felt like the same thing kind of happened here. We're like, oh, Dracula's so hot. Dracula's so hot. No. <laughs> right? Like he wasn't yeah. sexy or charismatic Dracula. Uh, and, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar, she does the best she can, but, I, you know, she has chemistry with David Moriana. She has chemistry, God help us, with the James Marsters. Um, but she had about as much chemistry with Dracula as she does with Riley, which is to say none. Yeah. Also, like, totally not her type. She's into the beefy boys, and yeah. this guy's lanky as hell. Mm-hmm. She has a <laughs> terrible taste in men, and so I could see how Dracula kind of fits in there. But <laughs> true, true. <laughs> uh, I like this hair, though. But, like, uh, sharp widow's peak. Why wasn't she wearing her cross at all this episode? Makes no sense. Oh. Silver cross that she used to own. Yeah, where's that been? Yeah, where's that at? Listen, when you break up with somebody, you get rid of the stuff they gave you. That's, that's, that is a rule. Important religious charms. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll get rid of those. You file that shit away. <laughs> like I'm how when a it. cop breaks up with their sergeant, they throw the gun away. Like, yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, even if it's like life-saving, it's like, ah, uh, this fire extinguisher reminds me of my ex, so I'm not going to put it where I can <laughs> Well, I, I love the initiative bickering. I like that Riley's like, well, the initiative, if they were around, they'd be able to find everything on this guy in a few hours. And like the, the initiative is like, we've just seen them as such like the, you know, well-funded, but uh, totally misguided agency that like can barely figure out what's going on. And like, I, li- I just love that Riley's still holding the candle for the initiative as like <laughs> the fucking high point, the apex of sleuthing. And like, it may be anyway that made me crack up yeah well it's also it's so inaccurate like at this point in the episode the initiative would still not believe not be believing it's dracula like they would be underestimating and like oh totally they'd be like trying to go and tag him or whatever and like six of them would be dead by now because they're a completely disposable organization (laughs) um and then I just couldn't believe that Spike back down to Riley in the Riley versus Spike in the tomb situation. Like you totally see Spike back down. And like, that made me angry because <laughs> I, I couldn't, I just didn't believe that that felt too unreal. And I get that there's the chip and there, but Riley's not taking any of a special medication. There's like no reason for Riley to have power over Spike the way that he does, except that, you know, in the, the narrative story it's that riley doesn't care and would kill spike and he's okay would go through with it where other scoobies wouldn't but like i i just that i don't know how you felt when you saw that if that felt like off to you you know what felt off to me was james marster's accent in that scene it was especially <laughs> shaky in that scene because i went i rewatched that scene three times just so i was like is it just me but it wasn't like his his accent was all over the place. And I don't know if it was like just like a long break between seasons and he forgot how. And then here it's it's really rough. Also, I think that uh Giles would happily kill Spike. I don't yeah, see totally. Ripper uh not staking Spike if he felt that it would be to the advantage of Buffy. Where where was where was Riley gonna get the money to pay Spike? Like he's talking about, oh, I'm gonna pay you for this information. Which he never ends up paying him, of course. But it's not like Riley has a job. He's no longer being a teaching assistant because that was even, that was a poor ruse even when his teacher was like working for the government. I mean, like those wealthy teaching assistants. Yeah. It's the initiative yeah. pension plan. I mean, he's going to get something from that. Like there's no way that agency can be folded and him not get paid for the rest of his life because they've got to keep 
that I mean, like a payout, like the lottery. <laughs> no, I mean, military industrial complex, even if that organization folds, they got to keep spending that money. <laughs> and so I feel like he's, he's got to get wrapped up and taken care of. Cause I mean, I don't know how many people actually survived that incident even. Uh, 60% of the initiative survived. 60%. Ugh. That's an insane <laughs> casualty amount. I mean, that's just like unimaginable. <laughs> like that's such, that's such bad writing because they might as well like put them on the moon. Be like, all right, Riley, time for a moon mission. I mean, it's like, the, I miss his uh, two-way hacked cell phone. Like I, I wish he had some of his like anarchy Riley stuff still. That would have been great. What is he even doing right now? I mean, he's... He lives somewhere. He can buy donuts. I know that. Uh, I was doing a little John peeping um, into the background of some of these uh, <laughs> shots. And in Buffy's room, in her like high school room, she has an album poster for John Prine's album, In Spite of Ourselves, which I started listening to and is really great. It is but a great album. There's nothing that someone in high school would stumble onto. No, it's not. Without, without the internet, or even probably in a, even if she went to the the pen, the ultimate of all ultimate record shops, aka Empire Records, which is not canonical. Okay, it's on the other side of the country. Even if it wasn't the real, even if it exists in their universe, it's not something that you would just stumble upon. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, John Prine's great. I was really glad that you pointed this out, Travis, because uh, that that song, in spite of ourselves, is amazing. And it's, it's way outside of Buffy's normal musical taste, which we know to be stoner rock, like 90s stoner rock. Uh, and, you know, John Prine, people who don't know, is like a really excellent, like kind of country and Western uh, songwriter. Uh, really, really, really great stuff. John Prine is probably a Riley influence anyway. Oh, that no, makes no, sense. It's in her, in her high school bedroom. That's a, that's a home. I mean, it's like... It's just but so it's insane. a new poster because it's a new album. Did well, she hasn't she been staying there over the summer at her she, mom's place? That's kind of the way they the apply theory. it when she has, you yeah. know, dinner with Joyce. Yeah. And it's also, so weird that dinner with Joyce did not have her sister there, but... She doesn't exist yet. Yeah, Maybe. she, she comes into existence. No, no, she doesn't. And it, oh. I noticed this. This is a random Sorry. Free podcast. Sorry. Be careful. <laughs> careful. Tread lightly here, folks. <laughs> but at the end of the episode, Don is there. Yes. Don is present at the end of the episode, so that's not a spoiler for future episodes. Name's but Don. In cool. The episode. <laughs> uh, Buffy and Joyce are having dinner, and they're only two place settings. Very true. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I saw that, and I was like, I'm trying to understand why that was. It's just a mystery right now. Yeah. Also, there's no way that Riley is not like a John Cougar Mellencamp Billy Joel guy, right? Like. <laughs> Eric beanbag white boy popular music guy he doesn't listen to John Prine Riley's the worst <laughs> yes <laughs> no it's it's perfectly believable right they're like after Angel Buffy goes for the soft landing totally get that 100% so it, it makes sense but he is not in any way interesting or notable He's just kind of like a beefy dude. You doof. sound jealous. You sound like you want to get with Buffy. <laughs> so you're like, look, I don't get it. I feel like you're emotionally, I feel like that way in high school when girls would get with guys. I'd be like, <laughs> nothing going on there. <laughs> no, I thought she had great chemistry with Angel, right? If he didn't have his own show to do, she should yeah. have stuck with him. Can you um, imagine a TV show called Riley? <laughs> <laughs> exclamation point. <laughs> Riley exclamation point is how the name of the show would be called uh, Riley would be one of those shows that you'd be like embarrassed to watch but it's also like somehow the most popular show and doesn't make sense and it's like <laughs> it's on CBS <laughs> it would be Part right after days. NCIS but with vampires it's like a what? three Riley's like a three camera sitcom I, I don't <laughs> think I don't think it's a I don't think it's a drama um, but you know what you can say about Riley is that he's observant Riley is the only character who seems to have noticed that uh, <laughs> is like Springfield uh, in that, like, you know how Springfield, it, whatever it needs, it has. It's got a gorge, yeah. it's got a forest, it's got, you know, the, the, the Sunnydale Tower or whatever, the monorail, whatever they need for the episode. But uh, Riley has noticed that Sunnydale works by the same rules because they're like, wait a second. He's like, wait a second. How come there was no castle before, but now there's a castle? <laughs> yeah, I it's especially that. heightened this episode with the castle and the beach being there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that it's not even like Angel's Mansion. It's just a legit, like... 
European castle in <laughs> California. <laughs> I was trying to figure out um, like what set on the Fox on the Fox Studio lot that this castle was from or the interiors are from. And I couldn't figure it out. It would have been almost better if it was just like a matte painting, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Buffy and Xander uh, both under Dracula's thrall are color coordinated. They're both wearing pink. Uh, pink and black, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Buffy's wearing like uh, the pink pleather pants, which are like, it's like a mellower version of her faith killing pants, you know? <laughs> Mellow pants. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what it all means, but it's interesting. Um, and I like that in this, like Dracula still plays by like his own set of like Dracula rules instead of the in-universe vampire rules. Um, I just think that's funny. I love how everyone calls him Drax or Drac. You know, like they don't. A lot of them don't call him the full Dracula. They say Drax. Um, I don't know. I thought that was really endearing. And we had a really fun Anya story. Like Anya, yeah. just like your friend who you kind of like are really like kind of cringing when she starts telling stories. You know, you're kind of like, uh oh, how how not PC is this story gonna be? And then uh, Anya's like, oh yeah, I hang out with Dracula. Yeah, I like that. I I still love that. Like, Anya doesn't look back on her time with as a demon with regrets or anything. She's not like, oh, I've got so much to atone for. It. She's just like, this is a funny story about the guy I killed by making super fat. Like, oh, that's fun. It's like she's got the demon positive version. Yeah, uh, of stories to tell. <laughs> that's great. Just proves how awesome Anya is. So, why did you like that Dracula plays by his own rules? Because that actually really, really bothered me when I first saw it, and it still bothers me today. <laughs> Dracula rules. Dracula vampires are essentially invincible. They have all these amazing superpowers. Why aren't all vampires like that? Like, where does he get his thing? And like, uh, uh, spikes. Like, oh, it's just what is it called? Like, carny magic? Showy, Showy gypsy, gypsy stuff. Yeah. Gypsy stuff. which, which we don't we don't like the gypsy word around here. Very complicated <laughs> nowadays. Yes. Uh, but like it's not it's not just illusions right like in the uh can i spoil things for the comic books uh no because they are in uh canon they're in canon okay well whatever explanation dracula may have later on in the series doesn't make any sense either like they keep trying to justify dracula at some point and it just makes no sense dracula has like crazy superpowers it's not just a trick he gets staked and then comes back he turns into a legit bat like that's not a a, a stupid trick can all vampires do that and they just choose not to <laughs> he's playing by his own rules um i like it because i just think it's funny and because it feels like such a one-off for this episode this episode feels like it takes place in this like weird pocket universe that right that runs by like rules of humor instead of rules of like yeah their own fittics or whatever like i i think that's right and i think that makes sense i mean my explanation my in-universe explanation is just pretty simply that like if you can have a human sorcerer you can have a vampire sorcerer and that makes you a real badass if you're both and i like that they go all the way with it like he's got like complete white pancake makeup all over him like he's and he he, he doesn't go into the fang mode i mean he doesn't get the bumpy forehead like if they went True. halfway with it it would bother me more but like it's just like full-on like like this is the time like this episode is called Buffy versus Dracula like this is the time Buffy fought a cartoon like <laughs> well and the three sisters don't have vamp face either right they have, they're sexy with fangs yeah which implies that when Dracula makes vampires vampires he makes have his abilities mm, why does yes. vampires rule the world I, I, I'm with you I, I almost feel like this Dracula is like way more interesting and should not have been a one-off episode is this I think that would have been like too much to I like know. How many lame vampires do we have in the show? Like Buffy just stakes and kills. I mean, the last cool vampire was Trick. That guy just had personality. Well, and that's part of the problem with Buffy as it progresses is that vampires just aren't a threat. And they haven't been a threat for like, I think two or three seasons at least, right? Because she kills so many vampires. They're just there. They're like putties in uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, right? You're not ever afraid of a putty. Putty's never going to do anything bad to you. Because you just hit them in that thing in their chest and they explode. Same thing with vampires. You hit them in the thing in the chest and they explode. <laughs> that was kind of but that's when you them. underestimate them, when they're most dangerous. Uh, no. no. I mean, I think <laughs> Buffy's power is always like so related to like what's going on. Like, like she was weaker against Sunday because she was like in a confused Sunday the vampire because she was like in a weaker, like a more, more emotional place. 
Like anything can hurt you as long as like the story needs it. Well, well they kept having to raise the stakes in the show, right? And so Adam was a much tougher villain than you know the villain in the first season, the master, I think personally. Tougher physically anyway. Because again, vampires under threat, which is why Dracula would have been interesting as a longer term villain, because he has this heightened power set. It's like, how do you kill a guy that can't be killed? That would have been cool. Um, but I don't think he would have worked. Uh, sorry, can I get into why I think Dracula doesn't work as a villain on Buffy? Or is that for later? Yeah, do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> this gets kind of complicated. So bear with me here, okay? Because uh, this is a bit of a long ride. But <clears throat> excuse me, Buffy as a show is about a fractured family. Buffy doesn't have a father. Buffy doesn't have siblings, maybe. Um, and so it's about a found family. And so Giles becomes the father figure. Joyce is still the mother. Um, and it's all about all these misfits coming together as part of a family. Dracula is basically like a bad dad figure. Dracula as a character has always been about Victorian sexuality. And the way that he's portrayed is as either a Victorian rake, AKA a rapist or like a dark patriarch. Right. Um, in Buffy, he is neither of those things. In this episode, he is neither of those things. He is just kind of a roadblock and kind of a sexy guy. But the kind of appeal of Dracula is, originally anyway, why he was such a good romantic villain, was that he was terrifying to Victorians because he was overtly sexual. He was seducing their women. Um, Buffy has already slept with a vampire, right? Like that has left, that horse has left the barn. And so the fact that she might become romantically involved with Dracula, that Dracula might seduce her, which is Victorian for rape, uh, is not all that threatening. And she already has a substitute father figure, Giles. Um, and she, you know, uh, and she had Angel before, right? Which kind of fulfilled the dark, brooding, sexy vampire stereotype. And so Dracula is kind of just a rehash of all of this. And so thematically, Dracula doesn't work you know, the classic Dracula doesn't work as a villain, you know, because he has like kind of like minor mind control powers and he kind of sort of seduces her, but like he, he bites her where she's already been bitten. So why is he a threat? He doesn't escalate well, the threat at all and he doesn't make uh, sense in terms of uh, either as a seducer or a bad father. I mean, I think what's happened in Buffy is that she's matured so much as a character that they can drop in Dracula, who would be the biggest fucking deal, the most all like prime vampire character that she could fight. And that she's totally transitioned to the character point where this character is not even a threat. He's kind of a goofball. And like the in-universe stuff is kind of a weird twist because it has to be a little bit different than what we've seen in order to have any kind of weight because otherwise it is just a stake you know because she's hunting down a vampire at the first scene so it's got to be something different than that and so his gypsy magic whatever that he has like allows him to do all these strange things we've never seen before and it's like it's kind of fun it feels like a play it feels like little archie universe dracula experience but like she's so matured and like by the end of this episode it's like she's talking about hey giles i want to hunt them you know, she wants to totally shift the direction of the show. And like, I don't know what's going to happen in season five, but it does feel like the fact that Dracula is kind of a pushover and whatever, he gets to escape and live on and maybe he'll come back, but probably not. Maybe in the comics. Uh, that it's like kind of, it's just like, it's uh, for me, it's like a huge shift in the direction of the show and that character that now instead of reacting, she's going to be uh, antagonizing and be, uh, being a little more aggressive. But I mean, I, I totally agree with it doesn't work you know, in the, as, as we maybe want, you know, this Dracula work and the potential for Dracula is so awesome. So it feels a little bit like a waste, but I, it feels like just a neat moment in an inversion of the show for me. But I, I mean, I also agree with you. <laughs> he also doesn't use any of his special Dracula powers in any way that is interesting to the plot. They're just there. They're, they're set dressing, right? But he doesn't ever turn into a bat and like spy on them, which might've been kind of cool. Um, yeah, he creeps into her window as mist, but like he could have just climbed into her window. Like he didn't have to be mist. He just did that for effect. So it just feels like Dracula was a lot of set dressing so they could use Dracula and have a like, oh, cool, Dracula's here. But he didn't actually impact the story in any meaningful way. He could have just been another vampire. He could have been just like sex vampire. They could have just called him that and it would have been the same episode, which for me is a waste of Dracula, who is actually a very powerful trope. You know, there's the... There's an essay online, and I didn't come up with this idea, but I think it's a good idea, that in modern fiction, uh, 
vampires are kind of represented as a father figure you want to have sex with and werewolves are like a brother figure you want to have sex with, right? And so Dracula was definitely sexy, but there was no real sense of oppression or danger. He was kind of comedic, but the only comedy that I felt worked was the uh, Xander Renfield comedy, which I thought was actually pretty good. Like him eating bugs and being the butt monkey. I thought that was pretty good. (laughs) But otherwise, it just it felt so generic to me, and it's it's a waste of a great character. That's my opinion. I don't know. Um, yeah, good opinion. Um, I think like they, you know, this is like this is Buffy season five, and like you couldn't have done a Dracula in season one when they're introducing what this universe is. This is the kind of thing you can only do once things are like really established, and then they're like now instead of like it being like our take on a kind of Dracula like character, they're like we are solidly using the name Dracula now and we are getting over it in one episode. Cause we're saying like the show is no longer at the like, saying like, we're no longer at the point where, where like a generic vampire means anything, I guess. And it's like Dracula versus the initiative would have been an interesting plot. I think like all the resources of Dracula versus all the resources of the initiative. And then Buffy's in the middle. That would have been cool. <sighs> no, no, that would have been more interesting for the initiative. For sure. I mean, as it is, they could barely handle a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, to, I just to me, I feel like I wouldn't want Dracula. I wouldn't want to spend more time with the, with Dracula than is necessary. Like, I'd rather see new monsters in a show like this. That I think that's always been their focus is like their like modern at the time take on classics instead of like just the classic. Um, so I think. I don't know. It's good to have, like this episode works for me a lot because it's a fun one-off. I also think there's a missed opportunity with Giles feeling like Giles is the father figure of the Scoobies, right? And Giles feeling kind of left out. If you had played Dracula as like a dark father figure versus Giles as the good father figure, that could have been really cool too. I'm just, it's such a wasted opportunity. That's my whole feeling on this episode was like, oh, after the bad taste of the initiative season left in my mouth. When I saw this at the time I was in high school what year was this? Was this 98? Uh, this is uh, 2001. But I remember being like, oh, the initiative sucked. Adam sucked. Oh, Dracula. This is going to be so cool. And then I watched it. And even though I didn't have the vocabulary at the time to describe why I was disappointed, I was like, oh, <laughs> much with this. It could have been so cool. You know, they could have done like, if they wanted to, they could have done a whole bunch of like old movie references, Dracula references, Hammer Horror references. That would be kind of fun for like vampire fans. They didn't do that. I mean, they could have opened it with them at a drive-in watching a classic film and then like not know that it's really Dracula's there, you know, something that like truly homaged, like really dug into it. But they didn't even do the most iconic Dracula line, which is, I do not drink vine, right? Like (laughs) that is the Dracula line. They didn't even do that. There's nothing. All right. Uh, yeah, why don't we move on to questions for the group? Questions for the group. So my favorite one-off character in this episode is the guy that's hauling Dracula's dirt. And he like never really gets to finish his line. He's like, dirt, man, rich people are. And then he immediately gets like his throat ripped open. Uh, so what was that guy about to say? <laughs> <laughs> People are just making my life more difficult. <laughs> the rich people are crazy gardeners. The rich people are gardeners. I don't know. Rich people are not interested in the shipping costs involved. In <laughs> there. Maybe it was like rich people are. <laughs> uh, so next question here. So Dracula is clearly the Scooby gang celebrity monster crush. Who's your monster crush? I'm going to go with uh, uh, Ava Ernst, which is the Grand High Witch. That's uh, Angelica Houston's character from The Witches. Nice, nice choice. <laughs> Deep cut. I, that's my monster cut. That's my monster crush. Yeah, I feel like there's too many for me to count, um, but I'll go with the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, also, just every I don't know. Every monster. Every monster. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's other podcast I listen to that I'll promote a little for no reason called uh, 
the monster smash that's like uh every episode they like talk about a monster and then whether or not they the monster could get it (laughs) (laughs) it's really good i really enjoy it (laughs) most of the time most of the time the monster can get it Uh, (laughs) we go with lydia deets from beetlejuice if you can call her a monster, I don't know if you can or not. There's also a character from Scooby-Doo Goes to Ghoul School, which when I was a kid, I had a huge crush on her. She was like Dracula's daughter from Scooby-Doo Goes to Ghoul School. Let me go with that one. I don't even remember her name. But like as a 10-year-old, I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Trav, do you have one? Oh, I, I'll, be, I'll go in canon. I'll go Darla. Ooh, nice. Uh, Darla, she's such a bad... Dangerous person, but it's like Darla. Yes, you gotta think for those blondes. Yeah. Oh, Cows Dark Willow, Willow, right? Obviously, Dark Willow. Well, yeah, we're gonna I go in Canada. Saying, yeah, right. <laughs> As night follows day. So, uh, okay, so April O'Neil in cat form. <laughs> seven of nine. Board uh, seven of nine. <laughs> and uh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Michael. You've watched. Star Trek Voyager? Yeah. But this is like kid stuff I'm thinking of. Like kid stuff. I mean high school watching Star Trek it. Star Trek Voyager but, is not kid stuff, my friend. <laughs> well, I just remember watching it before I went to sleep. It would be like MASH and then Star Trek on Fox or whatever. Uh, and it would be a random episode. You know, no idea what order, what season, any of that stuff. And then I'm going to, obviously Elvira. Uh, yeah. And so there's my three. It's probably too many monster crushes. No, never too many. <laughs> Janeway was a real monster on Voyager. True. She was the real monster. I she should be pre- like, as soon as she got back to the Federation, as soon as she got back, she should have been thrown in jail for murder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> these, are, these are extreme takes, guys. <laughs> justice Jane- for Tuvix. Hashtag justice for Tuvix. Janeway <laughs> was just doing her best in extreme circumstances. She's a murderer. Uh, <laughs> Trav, you got a question? Oh yeah, Xander was willing to serve Dracula for immortality. What special power would you want in exchange for serving Dracula? Assuming you could choose, because like that immortality is like the common, like, thing that Dracula trades on, right? Serve me, I'll make you immortal. I mean, immortality sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't want to switch it up if you could, like you know, value meal. I mean, so fries, you'll have chips or. Like, could I get, like, laser beam eyes? What are the requirements? Laser beam eyes, but you're going to die someday? I don't know. Like, once immortality is on the table, it's kind of hard to really beat that. It's it's kind of the ultimate superpower. I mean, just to become a Dracula-type vampire seems pretty good. I mean, he's got the whole power suite, right? Like, he wasn't offering Xander just immortality. It's like immortality, turn into a bat, turn into mist. That's true. Not have a weird monster face. You know, like, seems like a pretty solid suite of uh, superpowers. I mean, I think the reality is he, he wasn't prepared yeah. to offer Xander anything. It was all he <laughs> like, he might as well say, I'll give you the moon. Because Xander isn't getting shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, immortality. Let's do it. Let's be but undead and with the suite of Dracula powers. That sounds pretty badass. Uh, all right. Uh, do you guys want to move on to recommendations? Recommendations. Um, I only recommended one Hammer Horror movie this time around because I think I've already recommended a few throughout, but I, I don't think I ever recommended the Dracula AD 70, 1972. Um, but I was thinking about the Dracula versus, like Dra- Billy the Kid versus Dracula and Dracula versus Frankenstein um, and House of Frankenstein. Uh, so I was, thinking, I was thinking more about the end era of like Universal Studios American Dracula movies as being like this kind of like peak bad Dracula. Um, and John Carradine being, I, in my opinion, he's like the worst of the of the main Dracula actors. Uh, I think that's generally considered true, right? Uh, I don't see a lot of people doing praise for John Carradine. Um, and I'm also going to recommend Psycho Beach Party, uh, which <laughs> is like a 50s beach party parody movie uh, starring Nikki, uh, star- starring Nicholas Brendan, um, and. Uh, it's really funny. It's a super enjoyable movie. Um, it kind of mixes like the like beach party movies with slasher movies. Um, and I guess it's built, it's based on a, a stage play. Um, I know we've enjoyed it many times. Um, Mikey, do you have any recs? Uh, yeah, I sure do. Monster Squad. 
if you want to go Dracula. Nice, I mean, nice. I'd be surprised if that hadn't been recommended already on this podcast, but if not, it's a classic 80s uh, monster mashup movie. Uh, and the Dracula in there is actually pretty strong. Like he's a very strong, I forget who plays him, but he's like actually a very scary, seductive Dracula. Um, also, I'm going to go Sundown. Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat with David Carradine, not John Carradine, and Bruce Campbell. Yeah, Bruce Campbell plays a descendant of Van Helsing, and it is uh, kind of a vampire Western. It's comedic because, you know, Bruce Campbell plays like a funny Van Helsing, but it's also, in my memory, a fairly scary vampire movie. Cool. Um, yeah, so there's it, it, the idea is that there's a like a vampire who wants peace between vampires and humans, and there's a vampire that wants vampires to be just predators and uh bruce van Hel- sorry uh i think he's bob van helsing or something shows up to try to wipe all the vampires out uh and ends up well watch the movie cool sounds good sounds like uh uh for fans of briscoe county jr also for sure and the, the vampire in that movie is named mardulac which is an acronym <laughs> of dracula so they call him dracula they called him mardulac uh, Dracula's are so obsessed with their naming. All right. Uh, why don't we do predictions? Virgin predictions. Okay. Uh, so new for this season, we're going to make a couple adjustments to the ways that we do predictions. Uh, first, new adjustment is that we're going to start tracking predictions by season. Uh, so I made, I did some magic on the spreadsheet and uh, I can tell you, Michael, how well you've done at predicting what happens in each season. So I can tell you that in season one, you were, you had a 66.6%, right? So high, high D, not bad. Okay. <laughs> not failing anyway. Your Over best, 50 is good. Season two was your best season. You pulled a C. 75%. Wow. Season three was your worst. You got a 54.32. <laughs> That's what's been dragging you down this whole time. And so that, that I think we, we can say you flunked season three. Season four, you managed to get 60%, which is just barely a D minus on a 10-point grading scale. So there's that. Um, the other new tweak is that uh, we're going to uh, allow you each prediction, every, every, each episode that we do, we're going to allow you to make one super prediction, <laughs> which is going to be worth five times the amount of a regular prediction. By, f- by allow Mike to do this, do we mean force him to pick I think we should this? force him to do it. I think he gets to choose which prediction it is, but I think we should force him to do it. I think every episode he needs to make a super prediction. Um, that'll be worth more. And the, the reason we're doing this is because we realize that predictions, uh, as we go forward, the, uh, the way math works is that each, each prediction that he makes is worth sort of less in terms of percentage than all the ones before it because, you know, and that makes everything sort of less dramatic. It's petering out. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to like keep things dramatic. And then maybe by the time we get to season seven, we'll have to have super duper predictions or something. I don't know. But... Uh, that all that said, what we can say, uh, Michael, is that your overall percentage is currently at a sixty-one point nine, and we have no stats for season five. So, let's see what happens. Uh, did was anything confirmed or denied this episode? Yeah, sorry. Yes, uh, in season three, episode eleven, Michael, you predicted that Willow will master the four elements, and we went ahead and confirmed that in season four, episode nine. But in this episode, it almost seems to directly contradict that. So I think we need to take a vote. We may need to reverse this, that she has... She has... <laughs> what? Reverse? I think uh, Willow's... Oh, no. I, <laughs> terrible precedent. I will defend Mike here that I think um, what happened is Willow's spell went correctly, but it happened to ha- happen at the exact same time Spooky Dracula <laughs> came into town. Okay. Spooky Dracula's reign. So, okay. So Dennis votes that this is going to stay confirmed. Travis, what's your vote? Yeah, confirm. And Mikey, what's your vote? I think mastery implies that you're never going to make a stupid mistake. And she made a stupid mistake. So I think that she has effective control of the four elements, but I don't know if I'd call it mastery. She might be like a journeyman of the four elements, where every now and then she still kind of bubbles. 
I'm a Johnny come lately here, but I'm going to vote deny in this particular case. I think okay. because obviously she can't be a master if she made like she can't light a campfire without pulling up a storm. That seems to be a lack of mastery. Uh, strictly on the premise of uh, starry decisis, I think my vote is going to also be confirm, making it a uh, three to one confirm vote. So we're going to leave that one confirmed for you, Michael. Reconfirmed. Uh, and then the other other one we have to talk about here is in season four, episode eighteen. Michael, you predicted, and I quote. This show will have no monster bats. I think this is a monster bat. Yeah, this is totally a monster bat. <laughs> yep. So I thought it had made a stronger opinion about Draculas, but I, yes, of course, there were monster bats here. I thought it actually, they had completely banished this style of Dracula from the universe, but as a one-off. Okay. Uh, that having been denied, and those are the only uh, stats that we have, uh, your, your average overall is a 61.6. Your average for season five currently stands at a 0%. <laughs> because all of the uh, predictions that were addressed in season five have been denials. <laughs> Great. Well, let's get some more predictions on the table. So I have some easy predictions. And then I have the ones I want to go all in on for the multiple point, you know, prediction. So first, Dracula isn't dead, but he's not coming back to the show. And I mean the Dracula that appeared in this episode. Um, second prediction, we're going to have an episode opening from the perspective of a slayer of another era. Seems like we have to. Buffy wants to learn more about other slayers. We're going to have a slayer from another era as an opener, firmly embedding us in that slayer universe. Third prediction, Giles is not moving to England. However, fourth prediction, Giles will visit England. England is uh, on his mind. He's got some stuff to do there. I don't know what it is. We're going to find out. Um, now, uh, this, is a, this is a tough one because I kind of want to go in all in on this, but I have a couple predictions. One, Buffy doesn't have a sister. And I think Dawn, as I learned her name is, um, is not her sister. So I think this might be what I want to go all in on, but I got another one I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, this is a kind of far out there theory. I think Buffy's sister, Dawn, is a demon that is hiding out. That's just what I want to say as a theory, or I mean, as a prediction. And then I think Buffy is going into the Hellmouth to fight vampires and demons. Now, I think that because I think that she has, this is a reversal that happened in the opening here where she's going to be aggressively pursuing demons and vampires as she stated to Giles. And what's the source? The Hellmouth. She, and we've gone in there once before. Uh, she, I mean, I guess they'll have to get in there like through some kind of like carabiner or some kind of thing where they like lower themselves into it. But like, she's going into that Hellmouth to shut it down or, and, and kill the things that come out of it. That's what it feels like has to happen for this show. I don't know if it's happened this season, but it seems like it will be this season based on the, what happened in this first episode. But I'm not sure whether to go all in on the sister or the Hellmouth thing. I think the sister is a more sure thing. So all in on Buffy doesn't have a sister. Okay. Excellent predictions and one super prediction. Well super done. Super prediction. Awesome. All right. That was predictions. Uh, now let's uh, go into themes and deep stuff. Deep stuff. Uh, yeah, I uh, to paraphrase Arthur C. Clarke, uh, I feel like any sufficiently advanced rhetoric is indistinguishable from magic, and I think that this is uh, kind of what this episode to me is 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 about. Um, the idea being that uh, persuasion, or looked at another way, seduction or rhetoric is you know, using words and then making somebody do what you want, not necessarily what they would do independently, which is basically what magic is, right? It's like using words as an action to make people, to, to, to make somebody change their will. I think that is, and for that reason, like when people are good at persuasion or good at seduction, that makes them terrifying. And uh, I feel like a lot of what's going on in this is, is, is just that. That's all. It's as far as my thoughts go on that. But when I thought of uh, any sufficiently advanced rhetoric is indistinguishable from magic, when I thought of that phrase, I felt very proud of myself. 
<laughs> very smart, very cultured. Yeah. That's a nice that's a nice word spell you just cast. <laughs> uh, for me, I think that one of the big themes that's uh, that struck me was about growing up and maturing maturity. So Buffy's, you know, dinner plans with Joyce when she's talking about, you know, maybe they'll have dinner together in the future. And then Giles moving on to England. You know, Buffy doesn't need that father figure or that adult watcher parent in her life anymore. So she's sufficiently, you know, maturing. And I think this episode about maturation and that also her goals have changed. You know, so at the end of the episode, when she's talking to Giles about how she wants to pursue vampires or she wants to, you know, learn more about what, it, you know, about slayers. It's like she's reached a level of maturity now where she's achieved some level of mastery of her power. And then she now wants to change the goal of the story, which is not about preparation, but about, well, it's probably about preparation, but it's not about the maturation. She's there. Now it's like some other plan needs to be made. Some other story gets to be told. Uh, I thought that was very cool and very, very explicit. Cool. Yeah. Good read. Um, I was just thinking about the theme of blood in this episode. I mean, because this is the first episode, Buffy drinks vampire blood and Dracula gives, like, there's the whole, I mean, Dracula is always all about blood, but there's the whole blood is life thing. Um, uh, blood is life. Blood is power in the Buffy universe. Um, and I don't know what else blood is. Uh, but I don't know. It feels like it's um, just worth noting, like, this theme being set up now. Uh, and I also wanted to... Uh, reflect on these themes as they relate to Restless and how we saw it's kind of like checking in on everybody's uh, dream worries from Restless and where they are from there. So like Giles was very concerned. It was like uh, kind of got concerned with his role of being a parent with Buffy still. And you see him wanting to like sever those ties. Now he's ready. He thinks Buffy's ready to be on her own and he's ready to leave. Um, and we see like Xander, making this like Xander very much making this declaration of like, I'm, tr I'm going to move on this season. Like I'm done being the butt monkey. Uh, uh, the only person we don't, and we see, you know, uh, you've already brought up all the stuff with Buffy. Um, so the only person we don't really see kind of having that assessment moment um, is Willow. Uh, but you know, you only got so many minutes in a show. Uh, all right. Um, well, I've been your host, uh, Dennis St. John. Uh, I'm at D-E-N-I-S-C-O-M-I-X. Uh, you can buy my books, Land of Many Monsters, Any More Monster Tales, and Amelia, a Monsters and Girls book, wherever the internet is found. Uh, and you can follow me for more of my work. Uh, Mikey, uh, why don't you uh, promote your podcast and where can people get a sample? Love to. So we have a sneak preview of the podcast that probably won't actually be out until uh, April or so, but you can listen to rough cuts of the first three episodes at movievsexpert.com or movievsexpert, if you prefer, I don't, dot com. Uh, it is password protected, but for listeners of this podcast, if you put in the password Sasquatch with a capital S, that's capital S, A-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H. It'll bring you through to the site and you can listen to John Landis's episode, which is kindergarten cop. And then there's a, a uh, robotics episode and a computer scientist episode as well. I would love it if listeners of this podcast would mosey on over there and leave us some feedback with the understanding that the episodes are still in very rough cut form and they're like super long. Uh, they're going to be cut down significantly before we actually go live. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. We'll post a link to that on the Twitter at least and uh, tell people to watch the episode to find out how to get to them. Rock on. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, well, uh, thank you one and all for listening and uh, talking to us at Buffy Virgin. Uh, as we begin our fifth season, you can visit our website, BuffyVirgin.com for links to our blog, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, maybe. Uh, yep. Uh, reach out. Uh, we love to hear from you. And don't forget to rate and review us on the podcast listener of your choice. And we'll see you in hell. Hey.